Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network has incredible podcasts like the MarTech Podcast, hosted by Benjamin Shapiro. Each week, the MarTech Podcast tells stories of world-class marketers who use technology to create lasting success with their business and their careers. If you like any of these topics, you're going to like the MarTech Podcast how science is changing advertising, how to set up a CRM so you actually use it, private equities take on digital transformation, why big social is focused on newsletters. If these are topics that resonate with you, go check out the MarTech podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can also go listen at hubspot.com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Terry Jones. Terry is the former CEO of Travelocity, chairman of kayak.com, CIO of Sabre Incorporated. He is a digital disruptor, an author, a venture capitalist. He has founded five startups. He has $2 billion IPOs. He has served on 17 corporate boards. His success has established him as a thought leader on innovation and disruption. As a speaker, as an author, as a venture capitalist, as a board member, Terry is focused on helping companies use the tools and techniques that he has used and he has deployed to succeed in an ever-changing world. He lectures worldwide on innovation and building digital uh, relationships in business and holds several patents. He serves on the board of LuxuryLink, Riordan Commerce, and Smart Destinations. He is still chairman of the board of Kayak.com, and he is a special venture partner with General Catalyst Partners. We spoke about his career, how he has built several companies from the ground up, how he achieved $2 billion IPOs. We spoke about the future of work. We spoke about startups. Uh, We spoke about digital disruption. We spoke about COVID. We spoke about IoT, machine learning, AI, all the technologies that are impacting business and how companies, businesses can leverage those for success. He is an incredibly brilliant individual, just a very smart man, really humble guy. So I really hope you enjoy. There's business lessons, startup lessons, culture lessons, lessons that we've taken out of COVID, everything. He breaks it down. He really goes deep. So this is Terry Jones, obviously serial entrepreneur, former CEO of Travelocity, chairman of Kayak.com, $2 billion IPOs. Let's go. All right. Well, it's kind of a crazy story. Uh, I, I was a history major in college. Uh, and when I was about graduating, I thought I was going to Vietnam. It was the height of the Vietnam War, but I got rejected because of my back. So I didn't know what to do. And my roommate had a free pass on TWA because his dad was a pilot. And he said, I'm going around the world for a year before I go get my graduate degrees. So three of us spent a year going around the world. Uh, it was a great post-grad education. I came back and decided to get in the travel business. So I went to school at night. I became a travel agent. In those days, you had to write tickets by hand, make reservations on the phone, no computerization. My first reservation was made by Telegram, believe it or not. I, I'm not that old, but that we still had a Telegram machine in our office, 1970. Anyway, um, six months in, my manager said, let's go do a startup. So we did a startup focused on travel to Eastern Europe and the Soviet Union, which was booming at the time. And in five years, we created the 50th largest travel agency in the U.S. And we automated it uh, with back office computing and reservation computing that was just happening. I got interested in computing. So I jumped to the computing company that was selling those back office mini computers. 
six months in, that company was bought by American Airlines. So suddenly I was working in American, and I worked my way up to head of that division. Uh, later, I ran all programming, operations, and became CIO. Uh, when I was CIO, there was this little online product we had on AOL CompuServe called Easy Saber. And we also served travel agents who said, hey, why are you doing that? You should shut that down. That's selling bullets to the enemy. Right? And our chairman said, no, give it to Jones. We'll hide it over in IT where he is. He used to be a travel agent. <laughs> well, the first thing I did, it was 1996, to say, why is it not on the Internet? The Internet had just been deregulated. So we put it on the Internet. And I said, I don't want to be CIO anymore. I want to do this. People said, well, you're crazy. There's only 10 people there. I said, no, I think it'll be big. Um, so I went off of those 10 people, and uh, we turned that into Travelocity.com for inside American Airlines. So that was intrapreneurship. There's a story there we can talk about. Um, eventually, we took it public for $1.2 billion, um, and I ran it for six years until uh, Sabre decided to buy it back and take it private because they saw it as their future. I saw it as they're going to screw it up. So I left. Actually, they did screw it up. They uh, later sold it for only two hundred million dollars to Expedia. Um, so at that time, you know, I didn't have a I didn't have a job anymore. I'd been with American for eighteen years. I became a speaker on innovation and an author. I have two books you can see behind me in, on innovation and disruption off. And I went to work for a venture capital firm uh, looking at travel investments. And we wondered why isn't there vertical search in travel? At the time, I was on several boards. One of them was Overture, one of the big search companies. And so we looked at a couple of people who were dabbling in vertical search. And the uh, the partner there, Joel Cutler, said, let's do it ourselves. I'll fund it. So we found a great CEO and a great CTO. And I became chairman of the board. And we started Kayak.com. That was a great seven-year run. Uh, we took it public. And then shortly afterwards, sold it to uh, Booking.com for $1.8 billion. Um, so since that time, as you said in the intro, uh, I've been a speaker. I've now served on 20 boards of directors. Um, 20 boards. I'm, you know, wow. I'm, I'm Very an author. Uh, I was just doing some video narration work. Uh, I do all kinds of stuff. So I've had a lot of different careers, and I'm, I'm still having fun. I'm an angel investor. Um, and, uh, you know, really enjoy traveling around the world, trying to help businesses think about digital disruption. Mm-hmm. And and I'm assuming that some of the stuff that you speak about is is what you've learned over those two billion dollar IPO. So I try so to what, what were some of the it has more yeah. veracity than just what I've read. <laughs> yeah. No, agreed. Agreed. So what what were some of the what were some of the things that you did because you have a playbook for this? Like, you know, one time right. one time you can be lucky. Two times that's not luck anymore, right? So what were some of the things you did different that outside of including technology and automation sure. and systems and, and bringing it to the internet. Like these are all important things, but walk me through some of the, the playbook. Well, I, I had a pretty good education because I'd been a travel agent. Uh, I, I'd been a, a marketeer at American Airlines marketing department uh, and I'd been an IT guy, right? So that's kind of the combination of things you need to create an online business, right? You, you need to be a marketer. You need to know the domain and you need to understand tech. Um, Entrepreneurship is different. At American, you know, the number one thing I did was try to keep people from killing my business because we were competing with the other guys. So they wanted to steal our money. They wanted to kill us. Um, 
it wasn't hard to get money or space or offices or all that kind of stuff. What what was hard was to get rid of the legal department and, and go around purchasing and not have to buy IT from IT. And so I moved out of the building. We created our own culture. We brought in people from the outside who weren't airline people. That was really hard to do. We weren't allowed to hire from the outside, but we did. Um, and, you know, eventually as it grew up, uh, it became its own strong standalone division. And, you know, that's the, the problem in, in big corporations is they usually kill their little projects. You know, when I, I mentioned that uh, I went to work for this computer startup and it was purchased by American Airlines, the chairman there did something very smart. He said, look, we just bought you. I'm going to send you a CFO and I'm going to ban anyone from American Airlines from coming here for two years because they will screw you up. They're too big <laughs> and I'm going to leave you alone. And after two years, you should have learned you know, how to budget and how to do things you don't know how to do. Then I'll move you to headquarters. Very smart idea. And there are many companies who've done that. You know, you need to put a small idea in a greenhouse and let it grow up and protect it. And then you can create a division or take the technology inside or spin it out. But so often it gets killed. Now, Kayak was very different. That was a typical venture funded startup. Um, but we did some really interesting things. You know, uh, our IT headquarters was in Boston. Our CEO was in Connecticut with the marketing guys, and they were completely separated. And that, you know, that, that was 15 years ago, but it worked. Um, and we, we let them do that. They grew separately. They coordinated online, you know, stuff that's more normal today, but wasn't normal then. Um, and a huge difference in marketing in those two companies. Travelocity grew through radio and television and online. There were just banner ads. That's it. There wasn't even search when we started. Kayak grew 100% through search. We didn't. We eventually did a little TV before IPO just to get some buzz, but um, it's a search company. Now, what would you do today? You'd grow, through, you'd grow through social, right? I mean, every time marketing is changing, you'd use some of the things of the past, but the way that customers find companies has changed radically. Um, and with each new company I've had, we, you know, customer acquisition, has been, well, how the heck are we doing it now? <laughs> What's different? How do we change? It's uh, it's real important. And I, I think finally, you know, entrepreneurs need to realize that that venture capitalists invest in the idea first, but in the team, either second or first, because they know yeah, that the yeah. idea you have today won't be to look like the company you have later. So if you don't have the right team, you can have an awesome idea and get nowhere. Um, it's, it's team idea. And then how are you going to get those customers to come to you? And that third one is where many startups fall down. So that's enough for <laughs> soliloquy. That's another. No, I was going to say the one thing I, I, I didn't want to interrupt. It was, it's all great lessons. Um, there's a few points that we can pull out from that. The number one being, uh, entrepreneurship. And I thought that was very interesting. So my question to you, and it will be the question that hopefully resonates with people that are listening, you decided to double down on this on this entrepreneur opportunity, but you obviously are a very curious person by nature, or you wouldn't have gone down all these different roads. Why did you feel it was right to take this opportunity when you also are, like you acknowledged many companies, even if they maybe say they want innovation and they maybe start these little innovation labs, they kill it quite quickly. So there was a risk there too. So what prompted you to go in that route? Well. 
you know, I, I actually, I'd been promoted as chief information officer and I found it terrifically boring. It was sort of a coordination role. I like to be a line guy. You know, when I was running operations, I lost my hair at American Airlines trying to keep that thing running. Um, <laughs> and and it, this was just sort of a coordination policy. It was boring. And so when this little opportunity to do this little startup came along, I thought, <clears throat> you know, this is going to be big. I believe it's going to be big and interesting. Excuse me a second. I'm going to mute my mic. And I don't know if I can do that. I'm just going to cough. <clears throat> you can cut that out. Um, <laughs> no, you know, when, no. the, when the opportunity came along, I, I thought, look, travel online is going to be huge. And most other people didn't believe that. In fact, when our, after our IPO, we went on a roadshow and it was it was empty. People thought, oh, it's, you know, it's going to be toys.com or it's going to be shipping companies, something yeah. else. Travel turned out to be the biggest piece of e-commerce of all. Uh, it's larger than the next four categories combined, but people didn't know that. But I understood what had happened in the travel business that, you know, as, as airlines deregulated, there were more prices and more fares. It was darn hard to get a good price. And it took hours working with travel agents. I thought if customers can do it themselves, and we'd had this experiment called Easy Saber going on for years. We only had like a quarter million customers, but still. We knew it would be big. And now, you know, Kayak has 60 million downloads of its app. I mean, travel is ubiquitous. So um, I was a little going against the grain, but I knew travel and I knew IT and it wasn't as big a risk for me. And I, I thought, man, I, if I, I can get another job, but I don't want to be CIO anymore. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think the, the, the personality traits of somebody who steps into that role that allows them to be successful would be? And also, Two-part question, which I never—I don't like doing this, but I'm gonna—I'm gonna give you the runway. Um, what would be the uh, cultural traits of a company that would also allow that person to succeed? Well, I think first of all, you said it earlier: curiosity. I think you have to be really curious to be an entrepreneur because generally you're putting together—you're not inventing something like fire. You're putting together parts of things that exist in a new way. I mean, Travelocity just put an HTML. Let's take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. So let's pretend for a second that you set up the perfect campaign. Your team's happy. It's tested super well. Everything is going according to plan, except there's a nagging thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure that the people that I'm targeting that are going to see the ad are in the right mindset? They have the intent so that when they see my message, it's gonna resonate with them and they're gonna make a purchasing decision. This is the question that plagues all marketers. So what's the answer? The answer is LinkedIn. Because when you market on LinkedIn, you target people that are already engaged with your business. And that means that your advertising campaign will work as hard as it possibly can and work effectively the moment you launch it. Over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn. And this is one of the many reasons why 78% of B2B marketers, myself included, doubled down on LinkedIn. And I definitely categorize it as the most effective social media platform when it comes to selling anything in the B2B space and just helping my company, my organization, achieve highly specific objectives and outcomes. LinkedIn has the best targeting out of every social media platform. They offer tools for obviously brand building, but definitely lead generation. And you can target, you can target a professional audience down to the company, company size, title, whether or not they just switched companies recently, whether 
they've just visited your site, or they could have been people that you've contacted in the past. The filtering and targeting options are incredible. If you are advertising on LinkedIn, you are one step ahead of everyone else in achieving your marketing and your revenue goals. And if you haven't advertised on LinkedIn, this is your opportunity. So for all Success Story podcast listeners, LinkedIn Marketing Solutions, they put together a free, well, not a free, actually, it's a free $100. So $100 ad credit that you can use towards marketing on LinkedIn. So if you go to linkedin.com slash success story, that is linkedin.com slash S-U-C-C-E-S-S-S-T-O-R-Y, you're going to get $100 free ad credit towards your next LinkedIn marketing campaign. So you can try it yourself, see how effective it is. Terms and conditions apply. Go to linkedin.com slash success story right now. Check it out for yourself. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Shopify. Now, don't you love that sound? That is the sound of a sale being made. That's the sound of the all-in-one e-commerce platform allowing you to start, scale, and grow your business. See, Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for enterprise, for large organizations. Startups, scale-ups, established businesses, they can all tap into the tools that will take them from first sale to multi-million dollars in revenue. And not only can you scale up your business, close deals, optimize conversions, you also have the data points that allow you to make smart business decisions without employing a team or spending a ton of money on enterprise level bloated software. Shopify gives you all the resources, all the data points, all the analytics you need to make smart decisions that will allow you to scale fast, effectively, efficiently without needing to invest hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not only does Shopify power over 1.7 million businesses, it now has social integration across Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest to allow you to sell to your customers wherever they want to shop. You gain insights as you grow, detailed reporting of conversion rates, profit margins, and anything else you can think of tracking. And honestly, Shopify is so much more than a store. It grows with you. It complements you if you are making your first sale, if you are making your millionth sale, congratulations, but Shopify is with you every step of the way. So if you want to try Shopify today, uh, they put together a 14-day free trial for all Success Story podcast listeners. So you go to shopify.com slash success story, shopify.com slash S-U-C-C-E-S-S-S-T-O-R-Y, and you can use it free for 14 days. It comes with every single feature. Leave no stone unturned. You will see exactly how effective Shopify can be for starting, scaling, or growing your business. Go to paint on a reservation system. But behind the scenes, you know, we had people running computers, printing tickets. We had 3,000 customer service people. It was like a big travel agency. It was just self-service. Um, and, and that's the brilliance of that kind of idea. I mean, look, Apple didn't invent the music player. There were MP3 players before. They didn't invent the cell phone. They didn't invent the e-watch. They just made them a lot better. So through curiosity, you can you can set these goals and say, God, look what's happening over here. Look what's happening over there. Why can't we do that? You know, so many companies say, how did they do that? No, it's how did we do that? You know, we have the brand. We have the people. We have the technology. We have the money. We can do that. But big companies look at startups and go, oh, well, we couldn't do that. So I think you have to be curious, and I think you you the team is is really critical. Um, 
we had an interesting band of pirates uh, at the beginning in Travelocity who believed in the idea and they were willing to take risks and they knew they would fail and that was okay. They were going to watch the game films and look at that fumble over and over again and say, how can we avoid fumbling next time? Uh, most people in corporations don't like to take risk. In my book, Disruption Off, I say, look, the, the number one reason you're getting disrupted is you're not taking risks anymore. Every company was founded by a risk taker. But as we get bigger, it's all quarterly earnings and, oh, we can't fail. Well, if you don't experiment and you don't fail, you don't move forward. So it's being fearless and learning to kill projects, not people, right? And, oh, Terry's project failed. Oh, that was a lousy project. We're giving him another one, right? And, you know, kill the silos in the company, get people to work together uh, and make faster decisions. You know, those kind of things can really change a company. And that happened during COVID. You know, big companies, VPs didn't ask the boss anymore. They just did stuff. They moved fast. And they had to. They had to. They had to move fast. They had that, to. Do or yeah. die, right? Um, so it pushed people out of their comfort zone. It completely pushed people out of their comfort zone, COVID, of course. But one one more thing that you, you touched on, uh, and, and I and I kind of heard it when you said that they put you, you know, in this unit, they separated you, they they actually moved you away from the company and any of the any of the traditional political and the and the and the things that would slow you down. They said for two years, just go figure it out. So they, they were encouraging you to be okay with failure and iterating and trying new things yeah. and testing. Yeah. And and that's something that you mentioned too. That's something that companies had to be okay with during COVID, like it or not. Yeah. I mean, look, there was a major retailer had an 18-month plan to get to curbside delivery. When COVID hit, they did it in two days. Well, the boss won't forget that, right? <laughs> that's the new bar. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, that's how people are acting now is just saying, look, let, let's make decisions faster. Mary Barra, GM, said it. She said, she was thrilled at the speed at which they were able to make decisions. Uh, you know, post COVID, I, my, in my speech, um, I use the example of a pinball machine, an idea kind of flowing around the pinball machine and marketing says, oh, that's a dumb idea. And IT says, we can't build the software. Manufacturing says, we don't know how to build the product and service says we couldn't fix it. And if you manage to get by all those flippers in the pinball machine, you end up at finance and legal, the biggest flippers of all, right? You just say, and the idea is dead. <laughs> and, and you can't do that. You, the job in a corporation today is to say yes, not, oh, let's go to this meeting, say no, and we'll go back to more email. You know, it's to say, yeah, how do I get that idea over the finish line? I, I heard a great thing the other day. A friend of mine who's a speaker um, uses the analogy of, of uh, umpires. And he said he interviewed a bunch of rugby umpires. He said the rugby umpire is there, yes, to show infractions, but their number one goal is to keep the game moving. You know, while still saying, hey, don't do this, don't do that, but keep the game moving. And that's what legal and, and purchasing have to do. Instead of saying no, it's like, well, you can't do this, but you could do it that way, right? Instead of just saying no, it's, it's critical to keep things moving. And, you know, big corporations have to wake up and do that as part of their digital transformation. That's what, that's what you speak about now. And that's what you write about. That's right. and obviously uh, highly relevant with COVID. So walk me through some of the things you're seeing with, with companies what have they done during COVID? Well, how have they pivoted? What what has emerged from COVID? Well, you know, what what's emerged, I think, is companies realizing that they don't have to do business the old way. I mean, take hotels, for example. They 
they physically had to stop cleaning rooms when people were there. Now they're saying, you know, people really didn't complain much about having their not having their sheets changed every day. They don't do that at home. Um, so now they're not doing room service anymore. I mean, uh, room cleaning anymore till you leave unless yeah. you ask for it. They're saving a ton of money. Um, you know, e-commerce is up 50%. So companies that never looked at it are looking at it. Uh, o to O, online to offline, rapidly increasing where I can, you know, order online, pick up at the store. Uh, companies laid off in record numbers and hired in record numbers. Walmart hired almost a million people. Um, or 500,000 people, excuse me. Uh, on the other hand, J.C. Penney, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew are gone. Um, yeah. Chipotle saw online orders up 50%, but profits down. So they're trying to figure out, you know, how do we how do we do it? Um, in my business, the speaking business, I build a studio here. I'm not in it right now, but I have a complete studio with a mixer and all that stuff where I can produce high quality remote speeches. And, you know, other speakers were in their, you know, garage going, well, look at my graphics. You know, they pulled up a piece of paper. I mean, was, and, and meetings have changed. Meetings are going to be hybrid going forward. Travel has changed. Mm -hmm. I, I talked to a, an executive, a huge consulting firm. He had a hundred million dollar travel budget pre-COVID. His post-COVID budget is 50. And he said, we totally re-engineered the business. Uh, we looked at how to change. So people are looking at these new technologies as well, whether it's AI, big data, 3D printing, uh, the Internet of Things, and saying we've got to move quickly to digitize our business to meet, match our customer need and deploy these new technologies uh, to reduce costs dramatically. So when you, when you work with companies, um, what, what is, what is the thing that you seeing having the biggest effect? Like, you know, you look at IOT, you look at AI, you look at companies that are trying to figure out a way to push blockchain into trustless transact. Like what's the thing that's, that's changing companies the most that you can see the impact in the next six months? Well, I think it's, it's the combination of AI with these technologies. So it's, it's AI and IOT. Uh, so you move to, you know, manufacturing 4.0. Um, where you can do predictive maintenance and, you know, people who are doing AI and 3D printing, the, Boeing just uh, got approved for the first 3D printed, or GE got approved, excuse me, for the first 3D printed engine part. Um, think about how that part was made before. Five sub-assemblers made little pieces. They sent them to an assembler, put it together, put it in a warehouse, put it on a ship, put it on a truck, and got it to GE. Now. GE gets a part that's cheaper, lighter, faster, stronger, and no inventory. And people say, well, 3D printing is slow. It only has to be faster than the ship from Asia, right? <laughs> and it yeah. is. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's the combination of people taking da big data and AI and putting it behind, whether it's robotics or blockchain or drones, to really change products. And, and the other, I think, big change you're seeing is cloud-connected products. So companies are seeing that cloud connect them products allow them to act like a web company. In a web company like Travelocity, we knew what every customer was doing every day. We watched every interaction and saved it and improved our product because of it and communicated with the customer. Well, now John Deere has an internet connected tractor. They don't have to wait for the annual meeting to ask the dealer, well, what are the farmers doing this year? They know it every minute. 
and they can go out and update that tractor and delight the customer. Just like my Tesla, it gets new every month. I get new stuff. And what car ever did that before? So by being cloud connected, you're a faster learner and you're faster to change to market needs and customer needs. And these are all, these are all, these are all organizational changes. Now take it a level further or a level deeper future of work. What are you seeing with companies now? Because now you mentioned a few things and future of work in two ways, future of work in terms of how people work, but also future of work in terms of what jobs are people going to be doing? Right. Well, and, and they're both changing. Um, you know, recent surveys show that most leaders want everyone back in the office, but most workers want a flexible schedule. They like two days in the office and three days at home or something like that. So I think there's going to be a collision here. Um, and, and I think the workers are going to win um, be, because we have great demand for labor right now. And, you know, two of the boards I'm on, uh, companies, one company has sold all their real estate. Another has sold off half of it already. They're just not planning on coming back because the CFO loves the economics and their productivity is good. Yeah, it depends what business you're in. Obviously, a manufacturing business can't do the same thing. So I think we're going to see much more and continued work from anywhere. Um, and it's going to be part office, part not. I think we have to be careful not to lose the creativity aspect that, that evolves from bouncing into other people and talking with them at the water cooler or whatever. Um, and then I think, you know, jo jobs are changing and we're, we're automating lots of mundane tasks and robotic process automation combined with AI is getting rid of a lot of those tasks. But on the other hand, we're learning new tasks like, you know, a great video salesperson is in terrific demand right now. You know, somebody who can build a relationship and close deals without ever going there. Um, that's, that's a big new deal. Data analytics is screaming off the chart. Anybody can analyze all this big data because, you know, some companies have these crystal clear data lakes, but most people have data swamps. <laughs> and, and, you know, we've, we've got to change that um, to, to use these data to, to great effect. So I think work will change. I, I think another big thing we haven't talked about is, is how business models are changing. So, you know, Kayak is one of those asset list companies. Um, that just puts, you know, creates a platform putting buyers and sellers together and is worth almost $2 billion. But we have other new models like outcomes. So Philips, the lighting company, recently went to Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam and said, we're not going to sell you light bulbs anymore. We want to sell you light. They said, what? They said, we want to light your airport. We want a 20-year contract to light the airport. And they got it. So what do they do? They immediately. What, what does that mean, though? What, just well, for that example. Said, yeah. We'll keep your airport lit. We will pay for the power. We'll keep the bulbs there. We'll make sure everything is, is lit all the time. So you don't have to have people changing bulbs. You don't have to pay for the power. We'll just light the airport. And it's lighting as a service, last. So what do they do? They put in <laughs> bulbs that last 75% longer that they weren't selling before. They put the same bulbs use half the power because. Phillips is paying for the power, and they even recycle the bulbs and remanufacture them now because it's in their interest. So they went from selling bulbs to selling a long-term, highly profitable contract, and you know they saved a ton of money for the airport. So Honeywell is doing things like that. GE is selling power by the hour. 
you know, and then we're seeing models like subscriptions for things we never thought we'd subscribe to, like dinner. You know, I subscribe to a box meal service or razors. You know, who thought you'd subscribe to razors? Billion dollar business. And then people are going direct to consumer on crazy things like D2C suitcases and D2C mattresses. You know, things we always had to go to the store for. Now, suddenly, we don't. I mean, who would have thought you'd buy a mattress online and get a hundred day to try it? But so we have to. And you can ship it back if you don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. Very if, interesting. If you, if you do that, or, or just changing experience, just changing customer experience. I mean, Apple killed Nokia by changing the phone experience. Spotify. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot is the leading business CRM. Now, creating a legacy business starts with investing in sustainable, scalable tools. HubSpot is the number one CRM for starting, growing, and scaling businesses. With the HubSpot CRM, you have a purpose-built solution that's tailored to your business and your business alone. Now, I've used HubSpot for many years now, but just this year, they're releasing some new features. These are some of the ones that I'm definitely most excited about. So first new feature is called business units. So business units allow you to confidently manage contacts, marketing and sales assets and settings across multiple brands, which means clearer insights to empower whatever it is you're trying to do. There's also new admin features like permissions, templates and OKTA integration which makes it easier than ever to add, remove, and edit users, give them the proper missions as needed. And lastly, a new HubSpot feature that's rolling out is called Sandboxes. So with Sandboxes, all admins have access to production-like accounts, allowing them to test, iterate, and experiment with new go-to-market strategies, campaigns, before they actually push them live. This is a game changer because now you can actually see what works in this Sandbox environment, very similar to what a developer would do in a pre-prod or a testing environment. If you want to learn all about HubSpot's latest features, some of the new features I just spoke about, you can customize your CRM platform as well as learn about all these new features and all the old legacy features as well at HubSpot.com. I just want to take a second to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Nutrafol. Now, I tried Nutrafol because I have some hair now, but I know that in my family, eventually I'll start to lose some hair. And for the longest time, when it came to hair remedies, the options were some sort of surgical or some sort of transplant or natural remedies that didn't really seem to work. So you no longer have to choose between a chemical or a drug or a prescribed fix for hair or some sort of surgery or just no results. Now there is a natural holistic option that actually delivers results for your hair. This is Nutrafol. And Nutrafol does promote hair thickness, hair growth, and whole body wellness. So of course, genetics are a cause of hair loss. Uh, Nutrafol goes beyond that because there are actually five other causes for hair loss that go beyond genetics. So you have hormones, nutrition, metabolism, environmental factors, and stress. Nutrafol targets all of these five factors. So even if you don't have the genetic predisposition to lose hair, there are, are other things that could cause you to lose hair. Nutrafol is targeting all those, helping with all those. Nutrafol is also clinically proven to improve hair growth and thickness and visible scalp coverage. It has 21 potent ingredients. Of course, these are helping your hair, but they're also supporting better sex drive, better sleep, and less stress. It's been recommended by over 1,500 doctors, and in clinical studies and trials, uh, men did show progressive improvement in hair growth and hair thickness in three to six months. 
so you can grow thicker and healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and entering the promo code success story. This will save you $15 off your first month's supply of Nutrafol. And this is the best offer anywhere. It's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, there's also free shipping on every single order. So if you want to get $15 off, get $15 off now on your first order of Nutrafol at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code success story. Killed the iTunes by going to streaming, right? Mm-hmm. What, what, what about Uber? They're just a cab company with software. I mean, that's the difference. It's just software, but it's a better user experience. So people are looking at new ways to disrupt by changing the model or changing the customer experience or both. So we spoke, so I think that's an incredible insight. And you spoke about some use cases for large companies that are looking to disrupt, but also you spoke about some existing startups that obviously have disrupted. What are some other startups that people or use cases that people may not know about that are innovating and you think they will be mega disruptors and completely displace some major incumbents in the next two years? Do you have any? Well, not about the next two years. But any take, example? Take, uh, you know, I met a company three years ago, Zipline, and they started uh, doing drone deliveries of blood in Africa. And because it's very hard, the roads aren't good, blood is perishable. And they said, we started in Africa because they don't have any drone rules. And we didn't want to start in New York State where they wouldn't let us do it. It was very smart. And, you know, they said, you, you talk about software crashing. They said, well, our airplanes crashed a bunch. You know, we had to learn how to how to fly these drones. And, and you know, they, they, they catch them in a net. It's, it's crazy. But now they got noticed in the U.S. They made a huge trial in North Carolina flying covid tests and drugs and blood to remote hospitals so drone delivery got approved during covid i think it's going to go like crazy there's another city in in the southwest or southeast where they started doing drone testing as a rural place and most people were opposed to it now they're hooked on it they love it so that's going to grow very fast and i think that we're going to see manufacturing change as well dramatically with 3D printing. Uh, and I think there's going to be a lot of 3D printing that's done by boutique houses uh, that will create things. So taking AI to iterate a thousand CAD designs that could never be built, but they can only be built by 3D. And then showing, like uh, Ford did recently, they re-engineered a seat bracket. This is a sort of a mundane thing, but guess what? It's twice as strong and it weighs 30% less. Well, think about all the parts in your car that might weigh 30% less. What would that do to mileage, right? It can only be done through 3D printing. So I think those two are really exciting. Um, but my my book talks about 10 technologies that are coming to change the world. And that's the first half with examples, you know, like like drone yeah. fire, drones using for firefighting and blockchain for smart contracts. But the second part of the book is, what do you do about it? So the first part of the book is to scare the hell out of you. And the second part of the book is to say, yeah. <laughs> what can I do? Like increase risk, test more, kill projects, not people. But you can turn that book around for an entrepreneur and say, these are the places where you want to go think about a new idea. 
because these are places where corporations will move slowly. And the books, both books are kind of cookbooks. They're uh, 72 three-page chapters. So they're super fast to read, and you can use it as a, as a how-to book. Do you see? Do you see these uh, ideas being adopted by some legacy organizations? Do you like who? Who's buying this book? Is it? Is it? Is it just the 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 person who's already in line with innovation, who's already looking into these technologies, or do you see some people that are talking to you, buying the book, trying to understand these ideas that are in companies that are a hundred years old? Oh yeah, sure. Not the GEs or the IBMs or no, whatnot, but some of the some of the other ones. Companies that, who are doing it. I mean, I mean, Mack Truck. Is, is deploying IoT in all their trucks. Um, I just talked to the Amazing. world's largest truck stop, which is on I-80 in Iowa. And we were talking about, look, if Mac has smart trucks, then you got to work with them so you have sensors at your, at your uh, stop so that you can say, hey, this truck is coming. It's not going to make it across the country without new brakes. We can fix it and get you back on the road in four hours, and you can actually bid on it. So the connection of big brands who are automating, you know, they need people to help them wherever they are. That That's what GE is doing with their jet engines. So, yes, uh, large companies are looking at this and saying, how can I deploy 5G with IoT to have smarter networks in my factories? And one of the companies I'm on the board of is doing that. But at the same time, smaller companies are looking at these technologies. and partnering up with large companies to help them do things that the large lumbering giant just can't get done quickly enough. Yeah. I've, I've seen that actually quite a bit um, where, where they where they have these. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've seen, you know, I like, uh, I see companies acquire these startups and they turn into innovation labs within larger companies. That's right. Exactly. Like, exactly like your experience. Sure. I mean, one of the uh, large insurance companies I work with uh, bought, bought a small insurance startup, but they made sure to leave them uh, 50 miles away where they were. They said, we don't, we don't want to bring you into corporate headquarters. We'll kill you. But we're just going to come over here and learn. You know, it's, and, and lots of companies go to Silicon Valley to learn. It's called the Silicon Valley Petting Zoo, you know, where you go and you, you see half a dozen companies and you, start, you get inspired or you get scared. I, I was there with the chairman of American Express and we had like 30 companies. And I said, why do you come out here? He said, look, we either get inspired by these companies or we buy them, you know, and incorporate them because they are the next big thing. And he mentioned that American Express was an express freight company. That's how they started. That's where their name comes from. They were a freight company. Then they became a travel company. Now they're a financial giant. He said, I don't know what will be next, but it's not going to be finance. It'll be something different. That's how you build a hundred year old company. That's a, that's a, that's a, that, that quote in and of itself is just a really smart thing to just internalize because that that transcends executives, entrepreneurs, anything. You mentioned it yourself. When you invest in a company, well, I I don't know, you know, you're on boards. I'm sure you invested in in sure. some smaller company. It's the people, right? And it, it's the it's the people that will lead to that hundred year old company when that culture of iterating and 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 just being adaptable is part of that founder team. Well, and, and it's so important because you know if if you're sitting around saying how did they do that, we we can't do that. You know, they're, these these startups are biting your ankles and turn it around and say, well, wait a minute. We have things startups would kill for. We have a brand. Yeah. We have capital. We have factories. We have supply chains. We have salespeople. 
we just don't have imagination. <laughs> you know, so how can we <laughs> look at those ideas and say, we have everything a startup would kill for. Let's let's go figure out how to do that. And smart companies do that. Look at mass mutual insurance, 150 years old. They just bought a hundred million in Bitcoin. Wow. You know, that's that's pretty startling to see those kind of changes. But on the other hand, you know, Jamie Dimon just came out at Chase and said, you know, fintech is a huge threat to banks. My daughter got a mortgage during COVID and the banker was reviewing her past statements and said to her, who is this Mr. Venmo and why are you sending so much money to him? <laughs> Revealing <laughs> his great <laughs> ignorance of the current state of play, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> she said, what? Well, I mean, if that's your if that's your company, you got trouble. <laughs> you got you got massive trouble. That's that's a that's a you know that's a that's yeah fintech, but that's even a step away from all the all the blockchain applications and decentralized finance stuff. Like that's so far from where the consumer is at right now, and that that is a scary thought when you have the the too big to fail that's saying stuff like that. Yeah, that they don't know. It's a very I mean, scary. Somebody thought. said to me. Yeah. A bank used to be a place, and it was a place. Yeah, you had to go there and you talk to your banker. And I used to have a pay, you know, little savings book when I was five years old. Now, you know, a bank is a brand, and it better have awesome consumer relations and digital presence because that's all it is. You know, and money is digital. The use of cash dropped fifty-seven percent during COVID, so digital digital is the way to go. I, I, my barber. I do go to a barber, but only for my beard. Um, my barber the other day said, I'm sorry, I can only take cash. My machine is down. And I went, I don't have any cash. I got, I got to come back. <laughs> you know, I can't do this. Yeah. We'll use this cash. I don't remember the last time I had cash. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's crazy. So, yeah. you know, innovation and disruption are two sides of the same coin. You only call it a disruption because you didn't do it. If you did it, it would be an innovation. But you didn't. So ah, it's, it's disrupting us. It's terrible. Right. So you have a choice. You can innovate or get disrupted. Yeah. But then you have, like you said, you have the chairman, uh, chairman of uh, Amex of American uh, American Express. Then you have the, uh, you know, JP Morgan talking about disruption, chairman of Amex, Amex saying we need to come down here for inspiration. It's just uh, it's just, uh, you know, both in finance. Yeah. Just complete mindset shift. But look at, My, look just at total. Who, who's the president of IBM right now? The former president of Red Hat. I mean, I knew Ginny Rometty pretty well, and I did. My last startup was funded by IBM, uh, and she tried hard to change IBM and, and was a great executive, but she was also an insider. So to have now, you know, they, they do their biggest acquisition in history. They're, what, a 120-year-old company now. And who's the guy running the company? The guy from the acquisition. Well, there's a guy who can do what Lou Gerstner did, you know, when Lou came from uh, – the outside from the cigarette company, uh, they can both, you know, chop apart that big beast and use its great assets to new impact. Uh, but a lot of companies don't take that right. Look at what Mary Barron did, you know, announcing the end of the internal combustion engine by 2035. Um, that's an incredibly gutsy move for a company like that. And it's going to be heart wrenching inside that company to get there. But I think she knows they, they have to get there. So much easier for Tesla, you know, who started that way. They, you know, they don't, it's easy when you don't have a legacy. 
It's much harder when you do. Yeah. Very, very good. Okay. Um, we, we went through a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do some rapid fire questions, but before, before I pivot into this and I just to pull some stuff out of your career, but before we pivot, any closing thoughts on any of the topics we went, we went through. And then also, uh, where do people get your book? Where do people connect with you online? Um, well, I, I hope we, we have folks out there who will take a look at these books because they're good reads. They're very fast. They're available on Amazon in paperback, in Kindle format, and in audiobooks. And I narrated both of them since I'm a public speaker. So a lot of ways to get them. Very quick reads. Um, you know, the innovation is pretty timeless. Disruption is right now. You know, what are the technologies coming and what do I, what do, I do about them? Um, my website is tbjones.com. It's hard to get a Jones URL, so tbjones.com is what I got. Um, and you can you can look at my blogs. All my videos are there. You can watch many of my speeches and get more of these lessons. And you can contact me through that if you want to. And you know, sometimes people come with interesting ideas, and I'm an advisor to lots of companies, and I consult with folks, and I invest. All right. So. Do you have a, what, what's your best social? Uh, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn? What's, uh, yeah, what do you probably want to send LinkedIn is best for me. And it's, it's Terrell Jones, T-E-R-E-L-L. -L. I, I don't tweet a lot. I just don't spend the time um, to do it. Uh, <laughs> I'm busy doing other things. No, good. Very good. Okay. Uh, some rapid fire. Um, biggest challenge that you had over your career? Could be personal, could be professional. How'd you overcome it? Well, I, I think... Um, the the biggest challenge I had was was really building Travelocity inside American Airlines against all odds. And I mentioned some of the things we did. You know, we moved out of the company. Oh, yeah. We created our own culture. We hired people from the outside. Uh, we, we negotiated so that our budget was sort of secret to other people. And we even had got to the point where my boss, we had a debate when we had all the executives of the company debate whether we should keep or sell Travelocity. Now, I didn't know what was going to happen, and they ended up keeping it. Uh, and what happened after that was everybody kind of calmed down and quit throwing Molotov cocktails at us because they understood the business better. Um, it, because, you know, people don't like change. So that was a huge challenge, but it was the yeah. most fun I ever had in my life building that company. It was it was a, just a ball. Amazing. Um, you've had multiple people that have been uh, influential and impactful in your life. Who would be one that you would say had an incredible impact, and what did they teach you? I think it was Bob Crandall, the chairman of American Airlines. Um, he was um, a detail-minded micromanager who would take, but he would take great risk. So he he let uh, he invested two hundred fifty million dollars and was losing it building the Saber system. Eventually, became a two billion dollar company. Um, you know, he let me do a very early video project that cost millions in airports and took the risk and you know, other things that didn't work. And he understood that, that things wouldn't always work. So he's a tough taskmaster. Um, you could never BS him. But as long as you told the truth and said, I don't know the answer, but I'll get it, um, you would survive. And the people who BSed him would be fired. Uh, he taught me how to be a, a detail-minded but flexible startup leader, I think. Great guy. Good. What would be a book or a podcast that you'd recommend people check out that you've learned from? You know, um, I'm going to look behind me here because I got a whole bunch of great, great books. Um, you know, Reed Hoffman wrote a book called Blitz Scaling um, about he, how he scaled his business. 
Uh, John Chambers, Connecting the Dots, you know, he built Cisco, really good book. Um, one you might not have heard of, let me see if I can see it here. Uh, sorry, where is it? It's actually a book by uh, Coke, of the Coke brothers. Um, they, they're, you know, they're the third largest private company in the United States. Um, and, you know, one side of Coke brothers you probably heard of is they have very right-wing political views, and you might like that or not like that, but they're constant managers. Um, so his book about, about profits uh, is, is a really excellent management book as how they've scaled Koch Brothers to be such an amazingly large, successful company that most people don't know much about. Amazing. Good. That's a new one. I've, I've, the Reed, Reed Hoffman one, I've, I've heard Blitzscaling. Um, connecting the dots, I don't think I've ever had on this show. And then this one by the, what's the name of the book is, yeah, do you know what the name of the book is or just by the? Here. Gosh, I saw it earlier today. And I don't, uh, here it is. It's called, uh, it's called Good Profit. Uh, Good Profit. By Good Charles Profit, Coke. okay. Um, very interesting book. And of course, uh, Benioff's book, Behind the Cloud, is is also really interesting to understand how cloud started because the subscription model is everywhere today. Um, everybody's trying to have subscription, everything. Um, but if you go back to the basics and read his book, it, it kind of helps you get grounded on what can be a good subscription box. Well, he's the one who championed the, he, he's the one who championed the migration from on-prem servers to right. He was Google cloud. And, that, and, that was, and, you know, there, there's yeah. a good boss story because Larry let him do it. And Larry was still his mentor, even though he, you know, he created yeah. this, this huge uh, different company. I mean, there's a company in Germany, 140 years old. They sold air compressors. Now they sell air as a service. You need compressed air in your business. We'll supply compressed air. We know when you need more. We'll come. We have sensors. We sell you air. What a business. It's like selling water. <laughs> it's like selling yeah. Air. Yeah. Um, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would that be? Uh, don't worry. It'll be okay. Even though you're going to have uh, a lot of different careers. So take the risks. You know, you can do it. You can change. I mean, look, I, I encourage people to get a, a liberal education. And, and the reason I do that, I mean, not liberal arts, because the technology you learn today is going to be outmoded in 10 years. So what you have to do is learn how to learn and be curious. Because, you know, I, I gave a graduation speech to a whole bunch of nurses and doctors and the professors got mad at me because they said, look, all this stuff you learn going to be outdated in 10 years. Just, you know, learn how to deal with patients, learn how to learn new technologies and be open to it. Because, you know, gosh, what, look, I made my first reservation the first day I was there by telegram in 1970, which was ridiculous. I was typing invoices and I was using the dial phone. My last company was an AI startup. So did, did <laughs> one learning, lifetime, did less knowing, than one lifetime. Yeah. Did, did knowing telegraphy help my AI company? No, it didn't <laughs> at all. But you know, learning how to change and and, and uh, learning about customers was much more important. Amazing. And then uh, last question: What does success mean to you? Well, it can mean a lot of things. For for me, I mean, I, I like uh, being successful is the satisfaction I get out of something. So it doesn't necessarily have to be profitable. It can be a tremendous learning experience. It can be helping other people. You know, success comes in all kinds of different forms. 
Uh, it can be mentoring people and bringing them along. I mean, that's incredibly rewarding. I mean, today, you know, I mentor lots and lots of companies because, you know, I've got 50 years of business knowledge, some of which is useful uh, and some of which I, I haven't a clue what they're talking about. So when I can help them or say we, we had a problem like that, you know, that's very satisfying it's like in, in this in this time in my life. Um, I get the most satisfaction. I mean, I, I'm chairman of a big boys and girls camp up in Minnesota, and we take kids out for a month in the wilderness. No phones, no internet connection, nothing. And boy, does that create leaders because it challenges the hell out of them. So it's great to do it with youth. That's a big success in my life that, that we made that so successful. We do it in the inner cities as well in St. Louis. Um, success comes in many forms. Amazing. All right. That's that's all I got, Terry. I appreciate it. Thank all you right. so much. Thank you. Man. That was really, really good. All right. Good to talk to you. Send me a Thank note you when know. you're going to run. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it, each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Hiring as a small business owner is a major pain. That's why LinkedIn is supporting today's episode. You need people with the right skills and experience, but finding them can take forever. It is incredibly frustrating to keep seeing candidates who just aren't a good fit, and that's why LinkedIn Jobs has been a game changer. Let me tell you a little story. We needed to hire a graphic designer, somebody with specific tech and software knowledge and the ability to truly understand our brand. And I started with all the usual job boards and it's the same old story. Tons of irrelevant applications. No one's really matching my needs. I tried LinkedIn jobs and the quality of candidates was just on another level. People with impressive portfolios, relevant expertise. I finally felt like I was interviewing the right people. That's truly the power of LinkedIn's massive professional network. You're tapping into this huge pool of talent you simply wouldn't find on other sites. It's about finding those niche candidates you actually need. And with the right people in front of you, hiring becomes a breeze. Did you know that 86% of small businesses find a quality 
qualified candidate on LinkedIn jobs within 24 hours. That is how well their system works. Honestly, do yourself a favor and try LinkedIn jobs next time you're hiring. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash excellence. That's linkedin.com slash excellence. Terms and conditions apply, but it's definitely worth trying out. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professional to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text 
success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay.